HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Greg Benson. Souther and Damon are both off this week. Souther is traveling around France, which makes me very jealous. And Damon is somewhere. We're all confident that he'll turn up eventually. Uh, But in the meantime, I have the studio to myself this week. And that means that I get to spend the first five minutes of this show talking about whatever the fuck I want. So... Get your bingo cards out and see what Grandpa Greg is going to rant about this time. Is it going to be unions? Is it going to be the environment? Baseball? Godzilla movies? All strong guesses, my friends. But this week, I'm actually sticking with one of my favorite soapboxes of all time. Journalists writing absolutely insipid articles trying to make sense of young people. Now, as some of you may know, because I talk about this a lot... I collect inane headlines written about those wacky millennials, and the crown jewel of my collection reads, and I'm not making this up, the average millennial is thousands in debt, has little in the bank, yet loves vacation. A journalist got paid to write that, and another journalist who was also at work said, looks good, run it. But lately, this little side project of mine has gotten even more crotchety and antisocial because the eye of Sauron-like gaze of news outlets, everyone finally having drained millennials of any usefulness or signs of life, has moved on to Generation Z. And particularly in my area of expertise, that is drinking, I'm starting to see a lot of headlines musing about what the Zoomers want to drink and crucially, how come they're doing so little of it? Now, the quality of these things hasn't improved all that much. And when I say that, I'm thinking of a CNBC headline that read, Generation Z's unique affinity towards cocktails is driven by their adventurous spirit, love for socializing, desire for personalization, and social media influence, which sounds familiar. But the point of the article was that Gen Z likes drinks that look and taste good. Cool. But... I've been noticing something else, too. I've been noticing a spate of articles reporting in kind of dire language that young adults are drinking way less than previous generations did. Now, I have a good friend who runs a non-ALK RTD. She's actually been on the show before, and she confirmed this, saying that young folks, and particularly the under-25 set, are just less motivated to drink than many previous generations ahead of them. Now, granted... A lot of the news articles breathlessly reporting on this trend are talking about it in the same apocalyptic terms they used to describe how much we were drinking at that age, which makes me wonder, what is the exact right amount of alcohol 21-year-olds can consume that will worry absolutely no one? But it still leaves them speculating about why. Why are the kids drinking less these days? TikTok? Debt? COVID? Well, I've got another theory. Loneliness. 
it's been widely reported for a while that we're currently in the middle of a global loneliness epidemic. CNN reported just yesterday that 24% of all adults in the world report feeling lonely, and that particularly 27% of 19 to 29-year-olds felt fairly or very lonely. Now, we've talked a lot on the show about how the drinks aren't why people go out to bars. Pretty much everyone these days, especially if you listen to the show, can make a Negroni at home and save a lot of money doing it. But I have to wonder if between COVID, remote work, sky-high prices on everything, and the general unaffordability of the neighborhoods where these bars are in the first place, the new generation coming up is looking at the drinks they might get with coworkers or dates or friends and thinking that it's just not worth it. And this is usually the part of these things where I'm supposed to give something that kind of sounds like a solution. And sure, maybe your drink doesn't need perfectly clear ice if it's going to make that drink $2 more expensive. But beyond saying that if we just got rid of student debt and build affordable housing, people will start ordering penicillins again, there's not much I have to offer here in terms of a fix. But I also have to say that when I polled the Zoomers I know personally for this segment about how much they'd be willing to pay for a mocktail, most of them admitted they were just throwing numbers at a dartboard when they guessed how much a drink out costs these days. So I guess if I'm saying anything, I'm saying to please be kind and be understanding when young folks don't know all the right rules about how to act when they're sitting on a bar stool. They had to figure this shit out over Zoom after all. And maybe stop trying to figure them out like there's some kind of puzzle or alien species and just embrace that they want the same thing that everybody's always wanted. To have fun, to be happy, and to not feel quite so alone. Which is a very interesting way to bring our guest into the studio today because he's built a really amazing community outside of bars and in fact on social media and has garnered quite a following in that arena. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. We're happy to have him live from Portland, Oregon, Jordan Hughes, a.k.a. the High Proof Preacher. Jordan, how are you, man? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to finally be on the show. We're excited to finally have you. This is a show that we've been trying to do for, I think, years at this point. So I'm, I'm stoked that uh, <laughs> we finally made it happen. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey, because you had a very, um, I know everyone says that they wound up in this industry in an unconventional way, but you truly had <laughs> a path that I haven't heard anyone else take to doing what they do. So tell us a little bit about your yeah. origin story and how you got here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to, you know, how to say it in the most succinct way possible. Cause it that's, really that's is how like... you know, that's how, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a story. If the person who lived it is like, Oh geez, I don't even know what happened, man. It's... <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, where do I start with this? Uh, yeah. Cause it's like become known as, you know, the high proof preacher It's the Instagram name, the blog that I started. Uh, I guess I started it in like 2017 uh, but kind of that year and previously I was working as a, a Christian pastor at a church. So uh, very different, uh, you know, nonlinear career path of being like, all right, yeah, I was a youth pastor doing, you know, yeah, like church stuff. Uh, but living in Portland, had a lot of friends who are bartenders. I've never actually worked as a bartender myself, which uh, is also kind of funny, but I like got to know uh, yeah, a lot of the kind of industry talent here. Ryan McGarrion uh, is a good buddy of mine. He was kind of the one of the first Ryans who started Aviation Gin. I uh, got to know Jeff Morgenthaler here. You know, there's there's some like pretty like big names in Portland, and just kind of got to know some some bartenders in the area, and just had an appreciation for what they did uh, when it came to you know coming up with with cool drinks. And uh, for me, it was like the bartending cocktail side, it was like this side thing for me where I, would, I did some bartending for, you know, some events, weddings, special event bartending, I guess. So never actually worked employed at a bar, but I did some light bartending on the side and then also <laughs> was doing like photography on the side. And when I kind of got to a point at this church job where I was like, I'm kind of burnt out and, you know, it was kind of, 2016, 2017 era, a lot of stuff going on politically and just kind of like, all right, I need to have 
a career not connected to church stuff. And I just needed to do something totally different for a little while. Um, I was kind of like, well, I do photography on the side and I do some kind of bartending stuff on the side. And I was kind of looking at both to see like, what, what direction do I want to go in? Um, and I ended up somehow combining the two of them of being this kind of <laughs> cocktail liquor brand photographer where I, I really started out working with like local distilleries uh, and local bars here in Portland. So all kind of smaller, uh, you know, there was uh, House uh, House Spirits, which is now Westward Whiskey. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff for them where I was not just coming up with you know, cocktail recipes for their products, but also like, oh, I'm, I can also provide, you know, the creative assets to promote those cocktails or promote those spirits to their customers. So I kind of had this like two-part offer of like, I can create cocktails that appeal to the at-home consumer. And then I can take photos and videos for you to promote on your social media or website, email, marketing, whatever. So that's kind of how I got into what I'm now doing uh, of, you know, being a cocktail and liquor brand photographer, videographer, social media stuff. Um, so I, I started the High Proof Preacher uh, blog and Instagram account around that time of 2017. And um, yeah, started working with with distilleries and bars, doing a lot of photo stuff and kind of social media management. And it kind of snowballed from there, just started working with some bigger brands and um got out to Tales of the Cocktail, you know, and um, started going to some biggest, bigger industry events to, uh, you know, just to get outside of Portland a bit, you know, and I feel like once I kind of got connected with some, um, yeah, some, some people who, who weren't as, you know, just in the Portland scene, I was able to kind of, you know, work with some bigger companies and got in with some PR brands and all of that. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of this, uh, the snowball effect over time of, of being able to uh, work with some bigger companies. And then now I'm doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and when you say you have a blog, you know, I feel like I always have to, whenever we have guests on here who have, who have gotten into this world through the path of social media and blogging and building that community, I feel like I always have to be like, no, but it's not, but it's not just a blog. Everyone has a blog. You're good. Right at your blog. Like you've been in <laughs> Forbes, uh, liquor.com, Vine Pair. You were awarded the best drinks Instagram of 2019 by Saver Magazine. And I, I wanted to ask, anybody at this point can take studio quality pictures. I mean, the the <laughs> camera that came on my phone is probably better than the ones that like Ann Leibowitz was using 30 years ago. <laughs> Anyone can take a good photo of a drink at this point. What was kind of your strategy and what were some things that you found worked as you were not just building this Instagram and this blog, but kind of building a community up around it? Yeah. I mean, for me, like I really leaned into, you know, I think a lot of the the clients I was working with at the time were like, like, yeah, we have, you know, even 2017, 2018, like it's like, you know, smartphone cameras have been really good <laughs> for a while. Cause like, even then it was like, people are like, we can take good pictures, but a lot of our, uh, a lot of the struggle was like taking pictures in like dark environments. So mm. bars, a lot of the clients I was working with were like, how do we take pictures of our bottles, you know, next to the cocktails these bartenders make, how do we do it in an environment where there's no big windows or, you know, so that's, that was kind of the thing that I kind of like pushed into was like, okay, how can I, it was like having a good camera is one thing, but then figuring out like, how do I actually figure out how to, how to bring lighting into a busy bar environment and light the scene, light the cocktail in a way that, that doesn't look super obvious, but you know, as you don't want it to look like super fake or whatever, but also still make it look good. You know? So that was kind of my focus. Honestly, at first it wasn't even really like, how do I build a community? How do I, like, it was more just like, how can I kind of meet this challenge that a lot of clients were facing hmm. um, where they're like, yeah, like I, we have windows in our distillery or whatever, and we could set up stuff, but like, we want to actually capture this in the place where people are drinking it and enjoying it in these bars and these restaurants. So I really kind of zeroed in on that and kind of was really focused on figuring out lighting and mastering lighting. Um, and that, that kind of is what I feel like helped me take off a bit professionally. And then even on social media, um, it was just like, uh, th there were a few 
people I had, was definitely inspired by. There's uh, someone named Eric Medsker, uh, who's a, a very well-known kind of drink industry photographer in New York. Uh, Shannon Sturgis, someone else. Uh, you know, both of them have shot for you know Death and Co. and a bunch of cocktail books. Those were kind of two people that I kind of had as as inspo. But outside of them, I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of people. Um, you know, shooting with kind of a lot of my work is shot with like off camera flash. And it's very kind of like this cinematic look is kind of what I'm always going for. Um, so that was very much like the focus. And that I feel like that's kind of what set me apart a little bit at first was like, oh, he's not just, you know, putting a drink out on a back patio or whatever. It's like actually shooting in these these dark environments and still being able to capture that that mood and that aesthetic. And I feel like the community kind of started being built up around people just asking how I did this stuff. And I was just always very open with it. Cause I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm figuring this out as I go. So as I was going, I just was, it wasn't just sharing pretty pictures of cocktails and recipes, which I was doing that. It was also sharing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and people being like, yeah, how, where'd you place your lighting? How'd you do this? And I was just always very like, yeah, like, you know, I'm learning this, might as well show other people too. Uh, I feel like the community just kind of started building up around that of kind of this open source mentality uh, of both when it came to cocktail recipes, as well as how I captured things, everything was just kind of an open book. Uh, and I think people just appreciated that. And that just kind of grew the community around that of kind of this, this whole mentality of just sharing and not, you know, holding your cards too close to your chest. Uh, I feel like that that's really kind of where it was taking off for me was like having that that focus, but then also being very open and willing to, to share it. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've noticed about the bar community, actually, to be honest, that's the thing I've noticed about most communities in the modern era is that we're all very kind of, you know, we all do hold our cards close to our chest. We're all very sure. suspicious of outsiders. And, you know, I mean, there's lots of, <laughs> lots of factors that I could blame for the uh, infinitesimal siloing and fracturing of American society. But uh, I, I already went off too much at the top of the show, so I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask, you know, the bar community is very much one of these ones where you, you know, you have to pay your dues, you have to work your way up, right. you have to kind of earn yeah. your wings, so to speak. So what was it like for you coming in as someone who was, you know, approaching it of just like, hey, I just want to take, you know, I mean, obviously, more than like taking some fun pictures, clearly, you were good at it, or you wouldn't be talking to me right now. But <laughs> as someone who didn't, you know, go through that, uh, hazing process for lack of a better word sure. how did that impact the way that you were accepted by the bar community yeah i mean there's i feel like i'm still you know i still kind of get some uh yeah some bartenders who are like hey like you know you don't actually know anything <laughs> you know which i i understand the uh the sentiment you know where i feel like uh yeah, there kind of is that that little bit of like, you know, I've never actually been a bartender. I haven't gone through the, you know, the the woes of of the late nights and the, you know, the 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 terrible customers and all of that. So, I do, you know, have a little bit of, you know, I, from some bartenders will will get that kind of like, hey, but I feel like for the most part, um this community, this industry has just been like very accepting and very uh yeah, like in a way, I kind of feel like I've been like adopted or sort of thing <laughs> where uh, I think like, I think from the get go, like I was always very, even though I'm sharing a lot of, you know, cocktail recipes and techniques kind of things I've learned, um, you know, since I'm a very much what I would consider an enthusiast, you know, like I'm always very much speaking to the enthusiasts, the other kind of at home people. And I, I try my best to, to be like, yeah, like I'm not you know, in, in expert, I, an expert isn't something that I necessarily want to ever claim. Cause I'm like, part of that is just like, I want to always be learning. I got into this because I was learning. Um, but I also tried to work really hard to, to put, to, to put bartenders on, um, on a pedestal when I can and, and kind of shout out bartender friends for, you know, I, I put out a, cocktail book last year, which is very imagery focused. And since I, that is what I do, it's all very, a pretty beautiful book, but I also included a lot, a lot of recipes from bartenders. I know, um, both in Portland and beyond, um, I've always tried, you know, in my work too, like, 
it's not just photos of drinks. If you go on my feed or my website, I always try to highlight, you know, the person making the drink and showing the bartender as an essential part of the process, obviously, but showing like the bartender as truly the the creative and the star of the show. So um, I've, I've always tried to kind of make that an essential part of my work as well, where it's not just, oh, it's me making a drink or it's just this cocktail, but also trying to highlight the people behind the drinks and the people behind the spirits. Uh, so I feel like very much kind of starting out, like my audience, you know, my followers, whatever you want to call it, were very much kind of the at home, the people like me. And then as I started kind of doing more photos for bars and restaurants, I started getting bartenders following because they were like, oh, he's taking these, this cool you know, photo of Jeff. And then now this cool photo of someone else I've never heard of, but now I'm going to follow. So it kind of became like this way of, yes, like showing off my work. It's still showing, you know, my photography and my video and what I do, but also trying to highlight the people, uh, you know, within the industry and making them the star of the show. Uh, so I, you know, it's always a weird balance with social media because to to a big level, social media is, you know, it's like, you got to show your face and you got to be funny and engaging. But I'll also always try and show, you know, the, my bartender friends or bartenders I don't even know and trying to, to show them and give them a platform whenever I can. So definitely a balance, though, that has been tricky. So. Yeah, no, the, the social media game that we're all playing is tough because obviously your photos can't suck, but also it has to, there has to be more to it than that. There has to be, right. and it sounds like your secret sauce was almost kind of like you had a mission statement that you're like, I'm not putting myself out here uh, saying that like, look how great my drinks are. You were kind of, may, may, I'm going to revise the Ann Leibowitz analogy I made earlier. It almost seems kind of like Nat Geo. It almost kind of seems like you were, you wanted to capture these these drinks and these people in their natural habitat and kind of tell those yeah. stories. Totally. Yeah, because even like if you know if you were to take a close look at my work, like I don't really do a whole lot of styling or propping or it's not a whole lot of really intense you know, some photographers are incredible at that of kind of building out like these worlds on set where for me, like, I very much try to aim for this kind of editorial or kind of realistic approach where like, I want a viewer to actually feel like they're sitting at a bar and they're actually being served this drink, trying to come from this more like, you know, first person perspective where it's generally pretty minimal styling. Maybe there's some bar tools here and there, but uh, yeah, always trying to make it feel very realistic and very approachable. Um, it's always kind of been my, my focus. I, I, I mean, I love that. I love the, uh, the approach of kind of capturing things as they are. Um, that being said though, of your whole stance of being a, an objective observer, just coming in and documenting, uh, you are arguably responsible for the parmesan espresso martini trend that popped up earlier this year on social media <laughs> so um explain yourself this hey, is your yeah. chance to plead your case to the court what happened I know, there for, for better or for worse yeah i mean i was uh yeah i'm very much like you know it's so funny even i'll google parmesan espresso martini every now and then just to see like what what random article am i in now because it is like credited to me as the guy who first put it out there. But I'm like, even in the video I say myself, I'm like, this is something somebody else suggested to me. So I'm just like, that's, that's my claim to innocence. It's like, I'm just trying something out here that somebody else suggested. But wow, so you're, you're using the, yeah. I just work here at defense. That's your <laughs> totally. line. Yeah, okay. Maybe I should have been a bartender. Gosh, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, a buddy of mine, um, Jonathan Stanyard in Seattle, uh, and, and even he was like, yeah, like I even got this idea from somebody else too. So it kind of keeps getting passed down, you know, but um, I, it's very much based around the, you know, kind of South American cafe con queso thing where, you know, you have some coffee with a little bit of cheese. So it's, it's not that weird. I feel like when you think about it, but yeah, so this buddy suggested it to me of just like, yeah, make an espresso martini and just put a little bit of, of Parmesan on the top. And when I heard that, I was just like, well, that's just weird enough that, that might work. So it's an interesting pairing where I'm like, okay, yeah, cheese and coffee, milk and coffee. That, that makes sense. But I'm also like, oh, geez, like that's, that's going to be perfect. on. So there's definitely that thought of like, this is going to be perfect on social media. This is going to be something that 
probably tastes good, but is weird enough to piss people off. Uh, so that was at least my thought. I wasn't expecting it to quite blow up the way it did. Because, uh, yeah, I feel like I, I put out the video in February of this year, 2023. And then, you know, the kind of TikTok crew kind of jumped on it. So I was like, oh, cool. All the, the TikTok bartenders are, are you know, stitching it and recreating it. And, you know, the TikTok world's kind of its own world, too. I was like, oh, that's fun. And then, you know, it started showing up in news articles. And then I started getting messages from bartenders, like, all around the world who were, like, putting it on menus, um, which I was kind of like, cool, but also, like, don't do that. Like, this is fun. It's an interesting <laughs> pairing. But I'm like, this drink is going to get sent back left and right. You know, like, it's fun to try. But I'm like, this is not a drink I'd want to put on a menu. But... Um, but a lot of bartenders were stoked on it. I was getting, um, you know, there's this, oh, I forgot his name, but uh, a bartender at Handshake in Mexico City. He did the like this super cool like Rotovap thing with Parmesan. Like all these bartenders started doing like very cool iterations of it. And then it just went straight to like hate mail after that. <laughs> I mean, it started getting on like some of the more clickbait, like the daily mail or some stuff over in the UK. And I just started getting random DMS from people that were just like, you're a fucking idiot. And that's all it would say. No, it wouldn't link to any video when, you know, just started getting messages like that. Where it's like, I think this is Parmesan espresso martini related. So started out very cool. Like, Oh fun. Look, Oh no, bartenders are doing it. And then it was just like, trolls came out or not even trolls some a lot of it too or just bartenders who are like you know espresso martinis are annoying enough already and now people are asking if i have parmesan cheese to grate on it <laughs> so uh but yeah pretty pretty wild it got me on the the today show which was kind of fun and and silly too <laughs> but um yeah it's definitely a uh fun but also weird too where it's like i don't usually make you know, super clickbaity recipes, you know, every now and then it's something where I'm like, Oh, if I hear something, I'm like, Oh, I might try that, which was exactly what this was. So, um, that's where I was like, I don't want to necessarily build a reputation for just coming up with, with gross drinks, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, but you never, you can't really control what goes viral and what, you know, what blows up. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun to, to see at least, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to, get to the next thing. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, the the tastes and interests and fascinations of the internet are a, a, a myriad and appalling mystery. But what does it what does it just feel like to be <laughs> tagged as responsible for something like that? Just on a personal level, what is it what does it make you how how does it feel and how does it change, if at all, the way you approach your work? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, like I said, on one level, like it's it's fun. It it is, you know, funny <laughs> if anything. But yeah, th there is a certain level of like, um, you know, oftentimes when something goes viral, it, it kind of is like a, a double edged sword where you're like, cool, like you get a bunch of new eyes on your stuff. You know, your name gets mentioned in media, and you know, more people come to your profile and follow you and all that. But oftentimes, you know, when something goes viral, those people who come to you are then expecting more of the same stuff. They're accepting or they're expecting more, you know, kind of out there drinks. And, and I'm like, generally the cocktails that I create or that I share tend to be more on the simple side, more classic, uh, you know, stuff that people can more easily recreate at home. So it's like that, that is pretty different if someone, you know, shows up expecting kind of really weird out there drinks and they're like, Oh wait, this, this isn't what I signed up for, you know? So it ends up kind of being this like, uh, you know, you kind of get this high of like, oh, I'm being talked about and all these people are following me. And then there's, there, there tends to be a little bit of this, this lull of kind of like restabilizing. Uh, but the people who, you know, who do follow me or start following you after a viral thing, you know, there's certainly a good chunk of them who are like, oh, wait, this guy's actually, he, he knows some stuff or he does some really cool video, a really cool photo. So you end up getting people who who stick around and then actually get to know you and get to know your work. Um, so in that sense, like it's been worth it. It's definitely something where I'm like, it's been a fun ride, but I'm, I'm like hoping to 
to contribute something greater than just putting cheese on top of espresso macchiato. <laughs> well, I I definitely want to talk to you about your your aspirations for what you're you're hoping to contribute and what you're working on right now. But before we do that, we need to take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors. So we we will be right back with Jordan Hughes, photographer, social media influencer, and reluctant espresso parmesan martini inventor uh, here on Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Jordan Hughes, a.k.a. The High Proof Preacher. And at the beginning of the show, I talked a lot about how uh, it bothers me when news media outlets try and figure out what the youths are doing. And right now, uh, Jordan, I want you to help me try and figure out what the youths are doing. Um, it, it occurred to me, uh, just as we were talking, that since you were a youth pastor about uh, seven or so years ago, I haven't carried the one on this yet. But I'm imagining that some of the high schoolers you were working with are in that you know, 19 to 25 demographic that I was talking about at the top of the show now. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about this this whole conundrum of like, oh, why aren't the kids drinking as much as there as the people before them? Which again, super weird because I remember coming yeah. up and people being concerned <laughs> about how much I was drinking. So I'm like, just tell me what's the sweet spot, New York Times? Where what is the exact right amount <laughs> that a 22 year old can drink? Where you're going to be like, looks good, nothing to be concerned about here. <laughs> but what do you what do you make of this whole thing that? Uh, you know, the generation coming up is is generally being a little bit more conservative. They're drinking less. They're going out less. They're having less sex than we did. Like, what do you what do you <laughs> make of that trend? And where do you think it plays into the whole uh, cocktail thing that you and I are doing? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's been interesting how every now and then, like, someone will send me an article. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that one that you mentioned, but, you know, someone will always kind of send me like, oh, no, look, you know, it's some clickbaity article about you know, Gen Z's not drinking and kind of sending it to me like, oh, no, are you going to have to change careers or as if it would be like threatening to me, you know, those damn um, kids. Yeah, like, oh, no, like maybe they're going to stop making alcohol. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm a little like, I'm not sure why, why people the folks are at Anheuser-Busch are just like, shut it down. Right. We can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I'm all like, oh, there's still plenty of millennials around We're we've got a lot of life left. So mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily worried about, you know, distilleries or the alcohol world drying up, you know? So that's where I feel like just on surface level, that kind of manufactured, like, Oh no, this is going to change the industry. Like, yeah, it's, it's shifting stuff as far as like, uh, yeah, I mean, as we've seen, there's been way more non-alcoholic products entering the market for better, or for worse, you know, some are definitely better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, way more bars have, you know, every bar I go to now, it's like have, you know, they have a no proof menu where it's not just Coca-Cola and whatever. It's like actually like drinks that are well made with no booze. So Honestly, even as someone who's not sober, I'm like, I'm also really excited uh, by that. Honestly, even just saying like, cool, yeah, uh, I, I feel so dumb calling people youths or young people, but <laughs> just because I feel like I still am one, but I'm, I'm 33. I'm like, I guess I can't claim that anymore. But um, yeah, it's like, 
like, cause even for me, like I didn't even like, I didn't drink in high school. Uh, you know, part of it goes back to the kind of youth pastor background, church kid background, didn't really drink until I was 22 or 23. Didn't even have a drink on my 21st birthday. Uh, so for me, like alcohol has always been more like, I, I don't actually have any kind of bad memories associated with, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll make drinks for people and they're like, Oh, I can't do tequila, bad memories, or I can't drink rum, bad memories. Like for me, I'm like, it's always been about kind of the, the culinary experience and the discovery. And, um, that's kind of been a, kind of a, a cool byproduct of my more conservative background. Uh, so that's where I'm like, when I see stuff of, yeah, like kids not drinking as much, whatever, I'm like, sounds, sounds great. I mean, that sounds healthy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, I'm like, I'm not threatened by it. And honestly, I, you know, there, there's some level where I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll see as they get older <laughs> too. Hopefully life doesn't drive them to it. But, uh, but there's a certain level where I'm like, yeah, if you, you come into cocktails and, spirits and you know the world of of alcohol it's like if you come into it more with a sense of curiosity not not from a sense of like oh i i need to drink this to be accepted or to have fun at this party um i think that's that's a win like that's good that's good for the kids that's good for everyone you know um so that's where i'm like the the whole like oh there's there's less drinking less consumption i th- i think that's ultimately just going to be better for people and better for the industry as well. Um, that's, that's at least my, my optimistic take on it. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I guess since Souther isn't here, it's my job to, to pour some cold water on this theory because I, I gotta be honest, <laughs> I am a bit concerned because drinking <laughs> is, is sure. And always has been a social thing. I mean, that's why I've said for my entire career in this business that like the way that European countries do it, where you learn to drink by being around your parents and having like a glass of wine or something at dinner with your parents and learning that this is not some mysterious thing, but it's just a facet of life. It's not the best thing for you, but it can be fun and treat it with, you know, the responsibility that it, that it requires. I think that's so much better than the messaging that we got growing up, which is like, this thing is awesome and super cool, but also it's crazy dangerous. So don't do it. Like I remember (laughs) I saw some, I saw some study recently that dare you remember uh, the, the drugs and alcohol program that we all had when we were in elementary school. Yeah. Apparently that wasn't based on scientific data. Apparently that was just based (laughs) on feels where they're like, well, if we tell kids not to drink, they won't do it. Like children, the youth love cops, right? If a cop tells (laughs) them not to do this, then clearly, you know, they just won't. Um, But I worry that with this generation that had to go through college during lockdowns, that they didn't right. have that social component to, to drinking, that they had their 21st birthdays in isolation. And I'm not going to say that I only made good choices with alcohol <laughs> when I was that age. Uh, regular listeners to the show will know that that's not true. But my concern is that we have a group of people who learned to drink in social isolation, It wasn't something that was talked about at home. It wasn't something that they were really exposed to before they left for college. And in those years where most people are exposed to drinking for the first time, they were doing everything over Zoom. So my concern is that while they've shied away from it now, there's going to be another shoe that drops later. What do you think about that? Hmm. I mean... I just don't think so. (laughs) Maybe just because uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like I don't really have the the data, I guess. But I just am like, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm like, I I think just like even for I know how flawed it is, kind of basing everything off your own experience. But Hmm. it's like for me, like I didn't have a great framework for alcohol growing up. Like, um, honestly, really appreciated my my parents' approach. Like, my parents more came at it from an approach of kind of breaking some, you know, some generational stuff of, of, you know, their own experience as children growing up with parents who have used alcohol and just being like, we don't want that for our family. We're just not even going to go there, you know? So that's where like, 
I appreciated that that mentality, you know, because they were like that that wasn't something they said everyone needed to do, but they were like, that's for us and our family. We want to make sure, like, you know, because we're like, we don't know what's hereditary or whatever. So they were just very careful about like, we're just not gonna have alcohol in our house. Um, which for me growing up, it just I wasn't really around it. I didn't really know. You know, so when I turned 21, even it was kind of like, oh, I don't even know what to do or where it's like, there's a pretty big range of type of bars. You know, I didn't know, like, what's the difference between these spirits or whatever. For me, it was very much kind of learning um, more like I, I had a little more maturity and was learning from friends who were bartenders who were working at places like Clyde Common or, you know, like these more elevated concepts where for me, it's like, I didn't have the, uh, you know, the experience or the knowledge of growing up or even kind of experiences to base it on, but was something I was more able to, um, to learn about and enjoy later. And I guess that's where kind of my optimism comes from where I'm like, yeah, like the pandemic was just rough on every, every one of us, every generation, <laughs> you know, like whether you were turning 21 or graduating high school or, you know, switching jobs, whatever, everyone was just like so impacted by that. So I'm like, it makes sense that there's a lot of things that are kind of thrown off because of those few years. And that's where I'm like, yeah, like, I mean, there was a lot of Zoom classes on cocktails. And, you know, like you said, a lot of these people who came of age who are like, yeah, learn to make drinks or drink in isolation. And maybe that's kind of connected you know, now to them, cocktails feels connected to pandemic or drinking feels like it brings them to a spot where they're like, ah, like, I don't, I don't really need that. Uh, so like, I, I get like that, that might kind of throw a little hiccup in things for a while, but on another level, I'm like, uh, you know, also seeing a lot of people who, who are very interested in learning about cocktails and spirits, again, from, from a perspective that is, about like, oh, I want to I learn about this. This is interesting. And this is something that, um, you know, can actually add value to your life. Because that, that's what I end up, ended up finding was like, oh, not only was, you know, the, the bartending world and oh, like alcohol, not only was it kind of this, not this dark, scary thing, like I thought it was as a kid, but it was like, oh, this has actually opened up my world, not just to meeting new people, but learning about new cultures and, you know, getting to go down to Oaxaca and learn about Mezcal and going to the UK to learn about all these different spirits. Like for me, it's very much like opened up my world. And that's where I'm like, if, you know, again, it's, we're, we're painting in very broad strokes here, right. Of like, Oh, mm -hmm. like Gen Z, they don't drink much, but it's like, yes, but it's a huge group of people. And, you know, they'll all kind of find, you know, what, what works for them, maybe for a big chunk of them, they, they'll be sober. And I'm like, cool. Uh, I hope they continue to still go to bars and, and, you know, try awesome food and non-alcoholic drinks. Um, and hopefully there's a big chunk that get into cocktails in the spirit world, um, but can purely do it for the enjoyment of it and for the joy of, of learning versus just like, you know, doling the pain. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So sorry, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going too far into my preacher side here, but I'll, I can try to stuff that down. But I mean, it is, it is in your handle. It's, it's on brand yeah, yeah. at least. Um, but also, I have to stop I, myself sometimes. <laughs> Tiger can't change its stripes, but it is, but it is uh, encouraging to hear that. And, and, you know, as I was um, just kind of doing a very informal opinion poll of some people I know in the F and B space about this, you know, like you were saying uh, there is still a desire to go out and be social, but maybe maybe it's not as connected to drinking. I mean, it's from what I've seen and from what I've again very informally heard, uh, folks ten years younger than me are won't think twice about plunking down fourteen dollars for a non-alcoholic drink if it's good, which right. I think is is a positive sign. I mean, I always I feel particularly as someone with this platform, I feel obligated to applaud any time that someone chooses not to drink for any reason and make that decision for themselves. And I think that if we can have our cake and eat it too, then that's, that's the way. To, okay. So you've convinced me for now <laughs> for to now. not be right. super yeah. doom and gloom about this. <laughs> but I also wanted to talk about something that you touched on uh, about, you know, 
uh, classes and how those can build community because you are working on a photography class. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's also something that was uh, kind of born out of the pandemic was, uh, I, like we've said, like there were so many online kind of cocktail classes or, you know, I feel like even going on Instagram on like, you know, during 2020 or 21, everyone was live. Uh, I don't know if you remember, like, I, I just remember mm-hmm. popping on and just being like, oh, every, so many people are live right now. I'm like, nobody goes live, but that's just all we had to do. So, um, and for me, it's like, I was still sharing a lot of content, uh, a lot of cocktail recipes. That was kind of a, a lot of the stuff I was sharing, but I found, especially during that time, a lot of people were also trying to learn new skills as well. And a, a lot of the questions I was getting were not, you know, what bourbon do you use for this? Or how do you make this syrup? A lot of the questions I was getting from people were, were more about like the, the photos and the videos I was putting out. Like, how do you, you know, where do you put your lighting? How do you actually go into a, you know, a a bar and set things up? Or how do you make your, you know, your, your countertop look like a bar top? You know, I was getting all these more like practical questions around how I created the work. So that's where I was like, oh, well, I just started, again, sharing all the behind the scenes and sharing a lot of stuff and kind of got into like, it would be great to be able to to share this info, you know, without just, you know, DMing all these people individually. So that's where I kind of switched over to this kind of e-course mindset of like, oh, like I can kind of record all these videos. Um, you know, at first I was like, oh, I could do like a YouTube series, but like YouTube can get kind of messy too based on what things are suggested. And um, I was also like, as with anyone, I was like, okay, like a lot of people are now figuring out how to shoot the way I shoot, whether I teach them or not. Um, so I'm also like, if I can make some money off of this, that would be great. <laughs> you know. So there's also that aspect of kind of looking into an e-course and Basically, I, in 2022, I think, I, I launched kind of a, my own master class of kind of drink photography because most of the resources I found when I was getting started was like a lot of photography and videography. There was tutorials based on like food photography or portraiture, all these different focuses, but nothing that was specific to like cocktails and drinks and uh, working in bars. So I just kind of had to apply all these you know, kind of piecemeal lessons to drink photography and and bartenders. So that's where I was like, cool, I'm going to put out a course that is specific to shooting bartenders, shooting drinks, liquor products, which are, you know, taking pictures of glassware or bottles that are see-through or have reflective labels. Like those are all like unique challenges that a portrait photographer isn't necessarily used to, or even shooting food, you know, it's just like a, a different thing. So when your subjects are very small and reflective or see-through, it's just like a, <laughs> there's different challenges there. So yeah. that's where the course is very much, I, I kind of launched this pro level course and had a lot of success. A lot of people got into it, but I also had a lot of people who were mostly bartenders who are like, this course looks awesome, but it's a few hundred dollars. They were like, uh, I don't want to be a pro photographer. I just want to know how to take better pictures of my drinks. I just want to know how to promote my bar Um, I likely am just going to be using my iPhone. I don't have money to buy all the special lighting. So I was getting kind of feedback from, from different people, again, mostly bartenders, some kind of social media manager type people, uh, some GMs. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to kind of go backwards, built like the big masterclass. Now I'm going to build kind of the, the 101 level. So now I have this cocktail camera 101, that's 10 videos, 10 lessons. And it's all like, you know, how to get the most out of your smartphone camera how to shoot in dark environments with no natural light, you know, how to take pictures of bottles, how to, you know, so I'm, um, I'm adding material to it too, as I go. So I, I have a new lesson coming up where it's like, you know, how to take picture of a bottle and then, you know, put it on a white background for e-commerce stuff. So I'm trying to just think like, what's the most practical stuff that you don't need expensive gear for, uh, put that all in this, you know, this e-course, um, and I do sell it for, you know, all my courses I sell for like lifetime access. But for this one, I'm I'm giving it away to, I say like wor- working bartenders, barbacks. I have like a little kind of short application thing. Um, you know, bartenders, barbacks can apply and get free access to it. Um, I do doing this just because I'm like, I've, I've built a career 
out of, you know, capturing bartenders and, you know, shooting in bars and, uh, you know, like I said, always trying to give back and, and promote them. But also I'm like, uh, as someone who, like we said, at the start of the podcast, it's like, you know, I haven't necessarily feel like I've paid my dues. I haven't worked as a bartender. I was like, this is an easy way to kind of give back to the industry that has, like I said, adopted me, has been very good to me. Um, because yeah, oftentimes bars or bartenders, uh, you know, you don't often have, you know, the budget to go hire a professional photographer to come in and shoot your menu and promote your stuff. Oftentimes it's like, yeah, like I have an entry level, you know, Canon rebel, or I have my iPhone, um, and just trying to figure it out on my own. So I figured like, well, with this course that this can kind of help, you know, a lot of bars and bartenders, uh, be able to access those skills and learn those skills. It, it might not make you a, a professional photographer. Uh, there is a pro course for that if you want to go that direction. <laughs> but um, at least giving this to to the industry just to be like, take this knowledge, use it. Um, also as a way too of like, I, I know the industry is still, you know, kind of recovering from, from COVID area, <laughs> from the COVID era too. So um, yeah, so, so that's something I launched uh, this last June. Um, so it's been you know, a few months now, and we just hit um, a thousand bartenders uh, have joined it. So in the last, you know, five-ish months. So I'm going to see if I can, like, I would love, I always keep setting goals where it was a thousand by the end of the year. And I'm like, well, there's still like two or three months left in the year. So I'm like, maybe I can double it. Maybe I can get 2000 bartenders in by the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the latest project and kind of um, building that out and trying to add value to it as well as I go. So well, that's awesome, man. And, and I mean, you've, you've sold me. I definitely want to check it out. Um, <laughs> and I will absolutely uh, follow you. I, I, I already do, but I would encourage all of our guests to follow you on Instagram as well, because you're taking great pictures and doing great work and building a cool community out there. Uh, but for now, that's going to do it for us this week on the Speakeasy. Uh, Jordan Hughes, the High Proof Preacher, thank you. <clears throat> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to have the ladies from... Uh, Del McGay on for a fun Dia de Muertos special on November 1st. But in between now and then, uh, have a happy Halloween. Uh, be good. Behave yourselves, you filthy animals. And please take before and after pictures of your costumes and post them on Instagram because those are priceless. In the meantime, that's it from the Speakeasy. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your right. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.